public health orders extended indefinitely. We need to use this time to buy ourselves more time. Why there's no end date and the COVID hotspot raising red flags. A major development in the Amanda Todd case. It took me a while to process that information that he was really here. The Dutchman accused of cyberbullying the teen finally brought to BC to face charges. And social media stolen. My Instagram was gone. My account had disappeared. How a hacker hijacked her profile and the shocking demand he made when she tried to get it back. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with what many had likely hoped would be the end of the current round of COVID restrictions. But no such luck. BC's top doctor has confirmed the public health orders banning gatherings and events will remain in place and this time indefinitely. Staying small, staying local right now for the next while will mean fewer cases, means fewer outbreaks, means fewer severe illness, fewer people in hospitals, fewer people dying. These are the signs that I and we will be watching through the hard push that we have on right now. More on the restrictions and the reaction in just a moment. But first, to a key area of concern, Whistler has seen a shocking number of COVID-19 cases in the past month. And the province says a plan will be coming next week to try to reduce transmissions there. Now, we knew the resort community was seeing a lot of growth, but today BC's health minister revealed Whistler has had 547 cases of the virus from January 1st to February 2nd. Adrian Dix says the majority of cases are in young people in their 20s and 30s who live, work, and socialize together. Transmission has occurred in households and social settings. So far, though, only two cases have required hospitalization. Aaron MacArthur joins us now from Whistler with more on the reaction there. Aaron. Yeah, Sophie, you get the sense here that people are just exhausted. It's been a long winter trying to keep a lid on this virus, and so many people are doing the right thing, but it is not working. You mentioned the numbers, 547 cases since January 1st. Half of the cases have come in the last week, and that is a trajectory no one is happy about. Remember last year, Whistler had to close its doors in March uh, when the pandemic first got going. And there are people talking now about whether they're going to need to close the doors early again this year. That would be a huge economic loss. The mayor of Whistler talking about that. There are 14,000 jobs in this community that lean on being able to be open. And so this save the season effort um, is in hopes that we can continue to enjoy skiing, which is a safe activity, and uh, our community can stay open. But certainly that's not something that's off the table. Um, if, if we as a province and as a community can't get a handle on this, that's certainly something that um, is, is a possibility, not something that we desire. And I'm hopeful that we'll get to the other side without having that uh, kind of a measure um, taken. People assume that the guests are the ones that are bringing it in the community. And the reality is that it's always been in the community. Um, and we just need to make smart choices in our personal lives to make sure that we're able to get through this, uh, this period.
Now, WorkSafe BC and Vancouver Coastal Health are spending a lot of time in the village making sure restaurants and bars and grocery stores are following the orders as laid down. There were 62 inspections by WorkSafe last weekend. Expect more this weekend. Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Aaron MacArthur in Whistler. Now the province-wide case count, and the numbers are telling the tale of how we are still not bending the curve here in B.C. We have 471 new cases, bringing the total to 69,716. Tragically, six more people have died. That means we have now lost 1,246 people to complications of the virus. 253 are currently in hospital, 70 in the ICU. 62,567 people are considered recovered. We are now left with 4,423 active cases, 6,886 uh, 6, people in self-isolation. The stubbornly high numbers like that are why the restrictions are staying in place. Richard Zussman has more on Dr. Bonnie Henry's decision today and how she's holding out some hope of relief soon. They are three things that will define the next month in BC's fight against COVID-19. Variants, vaccines, and outbreaks. We are in a, a place of a little bit of uns more uncertainty um, and that we need to buy some time. The province extending a ban on social gatherings and events on Friday without an end date. Here is why. The variant is present in the population, modeling showing 19 cases of B117, the UK variant detected in BC, and 9 of B1351, the South African variant. Right now, our social interactions are about half of pre-pandemic levels, meaning if interactions go up, these more transmissible variants may spread and lead to an explosion in COVID cases. We start to see one of these variants take off, uh, then all bets are off and we may need to actually increase some of the restrictions. Then there are the vaccines. Notice the line at the bottom in black here. This shows cases of COVID-19 dropping off for those over the age of 80. This is because 87% of long-term care residents have received a first shot of the vaccine, of which just 2% have received the second dose. 89% of long-term care staff have one dose of the vaccine, of which 15 have been poked twice. But now those over the age of 80 outside of long-term care will have to wait for the beginning of March to get their vaccine. Mid-February, but the vaccine has not arrived, as you know, for this last two weeks. And uh, even next week, it's going to be reduced from what we expected. There is no end date for how far this extension will go. But the province has circled the end of February. And because of how uncertain things are, Dr. Henry will be watching closely before the next decision. It's not going to be a, yay, we're out of this, we're back to normal. It's going to be, can we slowly... And, and thoughtfully find an increase in those social connections that we all really want. But even with so much uncertainty, Henry also says people should start planning for kids to play sports again by late February and religious groups to gather in person. But all with strict COVID-19 measures and only if everyone does their part. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, despite the faint hope for relief, possibly by the end of the month, there are concerns that COVID fatigue will spread like wildfire. Paul Johnson on the reaction to the indefinite extension of restrictions. Vancouver's False Creek Friday afternoon. For a short time, the temperature got close to 10, 
the sun shined, and you could almost trick yourself into believing our long, dark winter of the pandemic was over. I think as long as they want to keep the lockdown, I'm going for it. And I think everybody should. Even if we slip a little bit, the potential for transmission goes up. Friday's announcement that the current restrictions will stay around a while longer wasn't much of a surprise to many Vancouverites. After almost a year of baffling twists and turns, many expected this and a good number supported. No problem whatsoever with that. No. Yeah. Same with me. No, no problem whatsoever. I think that's uh, forthright thinking, and uh, I think uh, that that's what needs to happen. I live alone, and so I not being able to um, see my people in a way that it, it is validating and, and, and feels nurturing. But the cracks are showing. Macy told us that other than her dog, she actually hasn't hugged anybody in months. I think people are snapping right now. <laughs> I'm definitely noticing it's it it's not good right now for businesses like the hard-hit hospitality sector a spokesman for the industry told global news that at least they have an element of certainty with friday's news though the long hoped for expansion of party size is still an unknown so are british columbians up for the steady as she goes plan the next few weeks, we'll see a number of holiday and cultural events that will test us. And first up is this. It remains to be seen how many can refrain from the gathering inside and drinking that accompanies our Super Bowl ritual. Blowing that would amount to a fumble in the fourth quarter. Paul Johnson, Global News. All right, Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with more. We talked about those stunning numbers out of Whistler in one mm -hmm. month, Keith, but Whistler is not the only hot spot in B.C. right now. And certainly not the only one outside of Metro Vancouver. For many months, our pandemic was really focused on Fraser Health Authority, Surrey, and places like that, uh, where most of the people live. But now it's spread to small towns around B.C. And with the modeling today, was released an updated map of B.C., a COVID map of B.C., showing the hardest-hit communities in B.C. on a per capita basis, and it is, is including a number of small communities. Take a look at this. Here's the list. Whistler, of course, at the top with the uh, biggest number by far of 287. This is just one week between January 20th. 24th and the 30th. Williams Lake and the Caribou, 72. Terrace, 61. Fernie, 29. We've been reporting on that for a few weeks. And the list goes on. Even Fort Nelson now facing outbreak. A number of these outbreaks are affecting long-term care homes now. Uh, Prince Rupert's not on this list, but they've had a long-term care outbreak in that community that's claimed more than a dozen lives there. And also affecting First Nations communities. So, again, we're going to be updating the situation. The good news here, Soph, is that these numbers, as bad as they are, and you live in a small town, seven many cases can be a pretty big deal. They are getting smaller in number. So, and the R number, the re reproductive number, is hovering around one in North Authority and the Interior Authority. That's good news. So maybe the worst is over. And if that is the case, perhaps we will have these restrictions lifted by the end of the month. Let's hope so. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. All right, now an update to a heart-wrenching case that gripped our province and the country eight years ago. 15-year-old Amanda Todd died by suicide after relentless cyberbullying. And now the Dutch man charged in her case has been extradited to Canada. Remina Dea has the details and reaction from Amanda's mother. 
It's been more than eight years since 15-year-old Amanda Todd committed suicide. 42-year-old Aidan Coban, a convicted online predator from half a world away, has now landed in Canada to face justice. It was very surreal. It, it kind of shocked my body. Global News has learned Coban landed in B.C. December 7th. He made his first court appearance the day after. He is facing five charges in connection to the Todd case, including extortion, possession of child pornography, communication with a young person to commit a sexual offence, and criminal harassment. Coban was arrested in 2014 at his cottage in the Netherlands for exploiting dozens of victims from multiple countries, luring them to share nude images online. He was sentenced to 11 years in a Dutch jail for fraud and blackmail. Todd's case never tried overseas. Her mother now preparing for trial. Being in court, you hear details. And so I have to be ready to hear the details. Coban's arrival in Canada, never announced by the B.C. Prosecution Service. His next court appearance, February 12th. He remains in custody. More than 50 million views and counting. Todd's story changing lives globally. The teen's day in court finally coming. And if Amanda had only known that she wasn't alone, she might still be here. This is Amanda's story. This is justice for her. Romina Dea, Global News. Well, the Federal Department of Justice says when Coban's Canadian court proceedings end, he will be returned to the Netherlands to serve the rest of his outstanding sentence there. He will also serve any Canadian sentence in Dutch custody. A Vancouver Island business owner is fighting back after a hacker hijacked her Instagram account. The owner of Hughes Clothing in Oak Bay was scammed into sharing personal information online, which led to her social media account being stolen. When she tracked down the hacker and asked for her account back, she was shocked by his demands. That's next on the News Hour. A legend on screen and on stage, remembering Christopher Plummer later on the News Hour. Plus, a rare bottle of whiskey with a James Bond twist. Why it'll cost more than just cash to get your hands on this. Right now, though, a Vancouver Island business owner is pledging to hold social media platforms accountable after her Instagram account was compromised. Kylie Stanton explains what happened and how the alleged hacker upped the ante with a sexual request. This is our Instagram account. The feed is all about the grid, but Rebecca Burrows is back at square one. We used to have around 4,500 followers. In an instant, years worth of work spent building her business's online presence was gone. It was awful. I was just so upset, but almost in shock. I didn't know what to do. Late last month, Burroughs received a message from what she thought was Instagram, asking her to fill out a form with personal information for a copyright infringement issue. She complied, realizing too late it was a scam. She had been hacked. He took over by changing the password and doing a two-step authentication on his end of it. So there was no way I was going to get it back. 
After contacting the alleged hacker through her personal account, that reality only became more clear. He said, I'll give it to you under one condition if you send me nude photos of yourself. He was relentless, writing, do you accept? Burroughs had no choice, saying, do you not hear me? No, take the account. I'll start a new one. I am not sending anyone photos of myself. Burroughs reached out to Instagram, owned by Facebook, only to get this in response. We found that this account likely doesn't go against our community guidelines. Even the Oak Bay Police Department was unable to proceed. And it just completely floored me that there was no one to help me. But it's becoming a common occurrence for small business. Experts say both the social media conglomerates and police need to be better prepared to field these requests. These tools do need to emerge where we can actually give people the support they're looking for when their information, when their business presence has been affected. Burroughs is planning to take matters into her own hands, starting a non-profit aimed at lobbying social media platforms to create a 1-800 number to help anyone who may find themselves in a similar situation. You know, when life gives you lemons, it's time to make some lemonade. And this has been a huge wake-up call for me. In the meantime, she's focused on her new account, Hughes Clothing Victoria. It'll take some time, but we'll get there. Rebuilding what's been lost, one square at a time. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Up next, a flood of suspicious cash in BC casinos. This was huge. This was not, this was a global thing. New testimony at the money laundering inquiry about when concerns started to peak. And later, the loss of smell among COVID patients and how it can last long after the virus is gone. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Knight Street Bridge after clearing an accident northbound and a medical emergency southbound. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and the Real Canadian Superstores throughout BC. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com open every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Knight Street Bridge. Talking new testimony at the Cullen Commission today surrounding the minister responsible as suspected money laundering hit its peak inside B.C. casinos. The public inquiry hearing from the former head of the gaming regulator about how his team and the B.C. Lottery Corporation might have been getting conflicting direction from then Finance Minister Mike DeYoung. John Hua reports. The summer of 2015 described as a perfect storm. Tens of millions of dollars in suspicious cash had flooded into BC casinos in a single month. Police tying some of that money to transnational organized crime. This wasn't a couple of guys that grew more marijuana in their backyard and used the proceeds and came and gambled. Still a crime, but this was huge. John Mazur, the gaming regulator's former assistant deputy minister, told the Cullen Commission at that point it was clear more had to be done. So there was a bunch of uh, uh, activity, including getting some time with the minister. That briefing with then-Finance Minister Michael de Jong included trying to get a ministerial directive, forcing the BC Lottery Corporation to determine the source of shady cash before casinos could accept a buy-in. Up to that point, BCLC only doing so on a risk-based approach. There's direction now that we don't want to take this money in, unless, unless we're sure. Mazur said that ministerial directive from de Jong never came. We didn't get approval for a directive. But the minister was prepared to write a letter. Mazur said the message wasn't for BCLC to keep doing what it was doing. Instead, a direct response to ignoring the regulator's request for specific action. This was trying to, I guess, for lack of better terms, drive home the point. 
But while Mazur thought the minister was backing his play, the Cullen Commission has heard in previous testimony BCLC was receiving a very different message about a move that could result in hundreds of millions of dollars in lost revenue. The minister didn't mean all funds. He meant just uh, keep doing it you know, with a, on, your, on your risk basis. BCLC's board chair also testifying when he met with DeYoung in person. The minister's position was very clear. You want to go from away from the risk-based approach to a dollar-specific approach. If DeYoung had changed his mind, Mazur did not get the memo. He would continue to ask BCLC for years to implement stronger source-of-cash conditions. At any point did BCLC implement the kind of measures that you believe satisfied your request um, or the, the actions you suggested they take? No, and that's why I kept writing the letters. Mazur also told the Cullen Commission he continually raised the issue with the minister and his staff. Did we forget that this ever happened and just moved on to something else? No, this was still important to us and, and, and we needed to do more. Changing the way BCLC sourced cash in casinos wouldn't happen until 2018 when it was ordered by a new provincial government. That perfect storm of suspicious cash tied to transnational organized crime reduced to a relative trickle. John Hua, Global News. Delta's mayor has released a statement after it was revealed the city's police department spent $42,000 on a PR firm after a garden hose incident involving the police chief's wife. George Harvey making it clear his comments are not being made in his position as chair of the Delta Police Board or on behalf of the board's members. Mayor Harvey says the recent events regarding expenditures for external public relations and communications contracts by senior executive police members, although with Within existing rules do not meet the high standards of Delta taxpayers. As mayor, Harvey says he will be making a motion at the next meeting asking council to take steps to increase transparency by requiring any external contracts for PR or communication services, regardless of value, be brought to council for discussion and approval. Delta Police Chief Constable Neil Dubord's wife Lorraine was accused of spraying a woman with a garden hose in front of her beachfront property last summer. After earlier refusing to disclose how much taxpayer money was spent on damage control when Global News fire, filed a Freedom of Information request, Delta Police ended up releasing the information late Wednesday afternoon. Coming up, the COVID side effect causing some people to lose their appetite. It's like you're eating your dinner and it literally tastes like cardboard. Why the lingering loss of smell has even bigger implications than that. Plus the age-old debate over BC's ancient trees and the call for balance in the forests. is steady in both directions here on Highway 99 to and from the Massey Tunnel. Keep in mind though, overnight lane closure southbound on Highway 99 south of Ladner Trunk causing delays. Want access to the HOV lane? Beat rush hour traffic in the Chevrolet Bolt TV with up to 417 kilometers of range. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. The argument over BC's ancient forests has been back in the news this week with the Sierra Club releasing a report connecting climate change with clear cuts in old growth stands. But as Paul Johnson reports, those who rely on logging for their livelihood not only dispute the report findings, they go even further, claiming not harvesting the trees could have negative impacts. Inside a stand of ancient old growth trees on Vancouver Island, 
In BC's coastal rainforest, trees like red and yellow cedar can grow to be thousands of years old. But decades of clear-cut logging on the coast means there's only a fraction of the original old growth left. And groups like the Sierra Club are now saying that preserving ancient forests should be a key part of the government's plan to manage climate change. And they recently commissioned a study they say supports that. So we're actually running out of time in which we can do the right thing here. But advocates for BC's logging industry say there's another side to that report. That managed forests can strike a balance between meeting the needs of conservation, dealing with climate change, and having a viable forest products industry in the province. The proposal of the Sierra Club to leave things as they are is actually harmful uh, negative climate policy because it will not allow the forest over time to be adapted. Stuart Meir is the executive director of the Resource Works Society and says the Sierra Club has got it wrong. He believes managed forests that are clear-cut periodically are a better long-term shield against climate change than just leaving the forests intact. Another thing they disagree on is just how much original old growth is left in BC. It's very simplistic to bandy around these numbers about you know how much original. I mean, uh, there's all kinds of estimates, and I'm not really so interested in that debate. I don't think it really helps to get to resolving some of the polarizations here. My response is there are a lot of uh, securities in place protecting uh, our forests and uh, areas that we are not allowed to harvest on. Carl Sweet sells heavy equipment to the logging industry points out that the sector still supports tens of thousands of good jobs in B.C. One thing that's indisputable is that the amount of remaining old-growth rainforest worldwide is at an all-time low. And balancing that against jobs and whatever climate change may bring will be an intense debate in B.C. for years to come. Paul Johnson, Global News. In Health Matters, one survey finds roughly 50% of COVID-19 patients lose their sense of smell. Now, most get it back quickly, but between 5 and 10% do not. It isn't clear how long that could last, and doctors say that can have an impact on quality of life. They say smell is important from a safety perspective to identify smoke and natural gas leaks, for instance. It also plays a role in the taste of food. Christina Herbers of St. Albert outside of Edmonton was diagnosed with COVID in early December. December. She still hasn't regained her sense of smell. The self-described foodie has lost five pounds since her diagnosis. As we chew, those odorants go up behind our palate and we smell them. So, you know, why a, a Pinot Noir tastes different than a, a Cabernet Sauvignon, that is really about smell. Um, why, you know, when, you, when you're eating a pad thai, why that tastes as good as it does and doesn't just taste like salty noodles. Like it's been seven weeks now, more than seven weeks. So now I know that meals are going to be boring and unappetizing. And you're right, I, the only reason I eat is because it's breakfast, lunch and dinner, not because I want to eat. And the same with cooking, like I cook for my family. And I'm more about what do you guys want? What do you guys want to eat? Because I don't care. Doctors say COVID-19 patients can retrain their brain and practice smelling a variety of scents. Just ahead, remembering Christopher Plummer. We don't retire in our business. We either die on the stage or in front of a camera. 
his incredible career and how he really felt about the sound of music. And later, no commiserating during COVID why the Canucks losing streak is compounded by pandemic restrictions. Why money isn't the only object in getting this very expensive spirit. That's coming up right after Christie's forecast. And just before we get to Christie, legendary Canadian actor Christopher Plummer has died at the age of 91. The Oscar winner was a star of stage, film and television, but is best remembered for his iconic role in The Sound of Music. ET Canada's Roz Weston has more. Heartbreakingly tender, heartwarmingly timeless. Christopher Plummer's role as Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music not only made him a star, it made him a legend. I'm very grateful to The Sound of Music in making me well-known for a start and able to choose projects rather than ask for them. But he was never fond of The Sound of Music, which he often referred to as that movie. Christopher described the musical as being sentimental and gooey. Beginning his career in the 1950s, Christopher acted on Broadway and with Ontario's famed stage company, the Stratford Festival, both of which he would often return to throughout his career. The first time he saw your name up in lights. Well, it wasn't big enough. <laughs> Christopher made his big screen debut in 1958's Stage Struck. You want me to write you an exit speech? Well, it's much too early in the morning for that. While he would go on to build an illustrious film career, it wasn't until his 2010 role as a gay father in Beginners that he won an Academy Award. If Andy wasn't going to be monogamous, why should I be? Winning at age 82, Christopher was the oldest Oscar winner in history. It's a sort of general acceptance of your work, so it is, it's thrilling. More recently, Christopher was nominated for a Golden Globe and an Academy Award for his work in All the Money in the World. A surprising nod considering he was a last-minute replacement for scandal-plagued Kevin Spacey. I said, yes, thank you very much. I'll take the risk. <laughs> we don't retire in our business. We either die on the stage or in front of a camera. Hope I'm properly made up at the time. I look as young and, and Lothario-like as I wouldn't want to be. <laughs> All right, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our weather forecast. Apparently, you have a picture that I'm to look at, Christy. <laughs> That's right. So I caught this on uh, Twitter from Brad Atchison, which is one of our great weather watchers. Have a look at this image. What do you Aww. see? Do you see a man or a dog? And I write, oh, hang on. This is like the blue dress, gold dress thing, isn't it? Yes. Like, I, I saw a That's dog right. and then I saw a man. What is it? <laughs> so neat. It, well, it is a dog. Oh, it is a dog. But okay. <laughs> it does look like a man with a backpack on at times as well. Oh, so neat. no. This is going to be a viral debate, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it is. All right. Well, I uh, just thought I'd have a little fun on a Friday. Thanks so much for playing along, Sophie. All right. So we saw a fair amount of cloud earlier today. That thick cloud meant for sunshine higher up in the mountains. If you're lucky enough to get up there, both on Blackcomb Mountain, we saw that uh, cloud layer and on the local mountains as well. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, that was from out from there. So a great shot. So everyone has sent that to us. We did catch some blue sky lower down as the skies cleared throughout the afternoon hours. And now what we're going to see is another system roll in. So it's moving in from the northwest. We're expecting snow for the inland regions and rainfall for our area. So we'll see that into tomorrow morning, even in the afternoon. Tomorrow conditions ease up, but we still do have a chance of flurries, sorry, showers, especially for those of you out for, through the Fraser Valley. Now, Temperatures are going to drop late Sunday, certainly into Monday and Tuesday. We're expecting that Arctic air to push in. So tune back in. There is a chance we could see some residual moisture and a few flakes. But for the most part, we are calling for dry conditions once that air mass pushes in. The main event is really overnight tonight and through the morning hours tomorrow with periods of rain. Otherwise, things are looking up, Sophie, with plenty of sunshine. It'll just be quite chilly. And tonight's weather window for you, sorry, central windows weather window Mm -hmm. is our sunset tonight from Chris Sale and again these uh, beautiful uh, alto cumulus undulatus spotted again today. (laughs) Easy for you to say. (laughs) All right thanks Christy. The BC Liquor Distribution Branch has put an incredibly expensive bottle of booze up for sale but even if you can afford it there's a catch. This is extremely rare and amazing find. BC liquor stores have acquired one of just 25 bottles in the world of a limited release of Bowmore 31-year-old DB5 1964 whiskey. It's bottled in a unique decanter made with a piston from an Aston Martin DB5, which was made famous, of course, in the James Bond movie Goldfinger. The collaboration between these two masters in their field. Aston Martin 1964 is very important to them because that's the first year that it came into the James Bond movie in Goldfinger. You see the car. 1964 is important to Bowmore because that was the year they changed from coal to steam in their production. It really influenced the character and quality of their product. The price, $74,999.99 plus tax. But before you go running for your debit card, you have to enter a draw to win the right to buy it. You have to enter at the 39th and Canby Signature BC Liquor Store. The draw ends at the end of business on Sunday. And then what do you do? Do you actually drink a $75,000 bottle of scotch? I don't know. Uh, I I feel bad. If you put that... And fireball whiskey beside each other, or I probably wouldn't couldn't know tell the, the difference. difference. That's just me, though. Uh, okay, so Brandon Sutter. Brandon Sutter. Brandon uh, Sutter. I have to do it. Says it doesn't matter if you lose by four goals twice in one week. You can't feel sorry for yourself. When you hang your head and feel sorry for yourself, it doesn't do any good. I guess he's right. Uh, the good news is the Canucks get a chance to avenge that loss against Toronto tomorrow. But actually, that can also be bad news playing Toronto tomorrow. And later, the Super Bowl edition of Satellite Debris. Hmm. All right, Satellite Debris, Super Bowl edition coming up. But first, the sports. Yes, let's talk Canucks, shall we? Even if you don't want me to talk Canucks, I'm going to talk Canucks. When they lose, they aren't kidding around. They really lose. They've allowed an average of just over five goals against in each of their losses. So when you think about it that way, they have to score six a game to avoid being blown out like they were against Montreal on Monday and last night against Toronto. The kind of losses that make players lose their confidence, coaches lose their patience, and fans just flat out lose it. Can 
Canucks just can't get the puck. Leafs are getting fresh legs out there. There's another shot. They score. The Canucks have had that sinking feeling on far too many nights this season, and it does wear guys down. Not only losing, but getting soundly thrashed is not easy to take for a proud team that feels it can make the playoffs. Typically, when times are tough on the road, the guys can get together, blow off some steam, and get all those doubts off their chest. But not this year. After games, it's straight back to your room to be alone with your thoughts. Go through things in life you want to go through with the people that are your closest with. You know, you drag yourselves out of the mud together. Um, it's hard. It's hard when you're, you just you got to come back and you're just sitting there wallowing, right? You're just thinking about everything. You just you put down the iPad, you walk away from the rink, and you just, you just try and get yourself to <clears throat> mentally reset. And it's a little bit harder when you just you can't uh, get out and do anything. You're just back in your room. The Leafs, another three on two. Boyd to the side, Patan across, Spezza scores! There's no easy way to just turn things around. Each player has to find his way back to a positive frame of mind, or in hockey terms, it's also referred to as suck it up, buttercup. You hang your head and feel sorry for yourself. It doesn't do any good. Today we came in, had a good meeting, had a good talk. Got to work out in, um, try, try to get some energy back, you know, get the guys smiling again, get you know something, something positive to draw off of to kind of bring some energy in the next game and at the same time recognize the things that we need to improve on. Having short-term memory, um, you know, a lot like playoff hockey right now, you're, you're playing a lot of games, uh, it's a shorter season, you have to be able to manage the highs and the lows, and um, every day is about getting ready to play the next game. All teams go through slumps, but good teams get out of them before they get out of hand. The Canucks know it's time to right the ship right now. Find that lost confidence before they fall too far back in the standings. No matter what, you've got to come to the rink the next next game and play and be excited to play and be confident and want the puck on your stick and not hide from it. Uh, you know, it's easy to play that way when you're winning and it's that's when you're losing, you need to make sure that your team doesn't get themselves into a hole where they emotionally feel low. And the Canucks' next two games are in Toronto. Uh, the WHL says its American teams will play a short season starting March 19th. And the B.C. government has yet to greenlight the B.C. teams to play a short season, but they do say they want to work with the Western Hockey League to make that happen. All right. Sunday's Super Bowl doesn't just feature the last two quarterbacks to win this game, but it also features, for the first time ever, the two best passing offenses in the regular season. And for Kansas City, it revolves around a big man in Travis Kelsey and a smaller man in Tyreek Hill. One runs you over, the other runs by you. And the Bucks, who are three-point underdogs, and despite having Tom Brady as their quarterback, have to stop Kelsey and Hill to win. I can Tyreek and can beat man coverage, uh, catch over the top, uh, be able to make big plays happen, uh, opens up the, the the middle of the field for Travis. Um, and so uh, to be able to have guys that complement each other so well and are and individually are such great talents, uh, I think it was makes, what makes them such a dynamic duo and uh, a group of guys that uh, I'm glad that are on my team. Mogul skier Mikhail Kingsbury of Quebec is one of Canada's great athletes. This guy's amazing. He broke vertebrae and missed the start of the season, came back yesterday, won the freestyle moguls, won gold today in the dual moguls. He's made 111 starts in moguls. He's won 65 times and been on the podium 
93 times. That is ridiculous. Uh, waste management, Phoenix Open, Steve Stricker is 53. That doesn't sound old to me, but it is the golfers. Shot a six, a 66 today, five under. He's 11 under par. He uh, is second, one shot off the lead of uh, Xander Shoffley. If he wins, he'd be the oldest player to ever win a PGA Tour event. Shoffley is 27, much younger. He leads at minus 12 by one shot. Adam Hadwin is tied for 27th. He made the cut at minus five. Nick Taylor missed the cut at minus two. Oh, and the MLS and its Players Association have just had a tentative agreement on a new collective bargaining agreement. I've said agreement twice, but they're agreeing on <laughs> a this deal. New agreement. Contract. Okay, you Something can do like that, that too. A deal. All right. Understanding. Uh, we've got a deal for you coming up. Super Bowl sat debris. Stay with us. All right, no Super Bowl parties. No Super Bowl parties, Squire. But we do have, but oh, there look are at me. ads. Because <laughs> you're I'm, such a big party. I know, but uh, not this year. Uh, Wayne's World. Remember that movie, Wayne's World? I do. Came out in 1992. 92! It's oh, a long time ago. Anyway, they're bringing it back as one of the Super Bowl commercials. That and one from Samuel Adams to start things off. Here we go. <laughs> This local access message is brought to you by Uber Eats. Wait, 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 hey everyone, welcome to Wayne's World. Party on Wayne. Party on Garth. As a local access show, we want everyone to support local restaurants. But we'd never manipulate you the way all these other commercials do. Shaw, that's really sad. Totally. We're better than that. Yeah, we'd never shamelessly rely on a celebrity cameo. Right, Cardi B? Yeah, eat local. <laughs> or jump on the latest trend. Eat local. All right. Local eats. Wings world. Yummy time. Excellent. Your cousin from Boston. I did not see that coming. Anyway, Sam Adams Wicked Hazy IPA. Juicy, right? Can we not tell my mom about this? Boston <laughs> accents make me laugh. Okay, uh, here's Super Bowl commercial from, uh, well, actually before this Sunday, we're going to show it to you. All of these are before Sunday's Super Bowl, obviously. M&M's, here we go. I feel bad for kicking your seat on purpose. I'm sorry for mansplaining. That's when a man... I know what it is. I wish he'd have just told you it's a boy. <coughs> I wish he didn't have to hear all that. Sorry I called you Karen. But that's my name. 
Sorry, your name is Karen. I promise I will not eat any more of your friends. Really? Okay, it might happen one more time. All right, and last but not least, um, Will Ferrell having a real problem with the country of Norway. I'd like to order four, no, uh, make that five million pizzas? Yes, with anchovies and deliver it to the entire country of Norway. Olaf has a coupon. <laughs> Did you know that Norway sells way more electric cars per capita than the U.S.? Norway. <laughs> well, I won't stand for it. Never mind. With GM's new Ultium battery, we're gonna crush those losers. Crush them! Let's go, America. Keenan, Norway's out EVing us. Wait, wait, what's this? Oh, it's my daughter's birthday. She's really in pirates lately. I don't lately. care. Grab an EV, meet me in Norway. Okay, can I say goodbye to my family? Nope. All right. Ah! <clears throat> Aquafina, sorry to disturb you, but Norway's beating us at EVs. Nah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Meet me there in an hour. Can I ride with you? No! GM's Ultium battery is made for all types of vehicles, so soon everyone can drive an EV. Oh! Why don't we all just go together? No one will. He's probably flying private. Hey, Norway, listen up, you fish-loving! Oh, this place is adorable. Damn it! Where are you guys? We're in Finland. Where are you? I'm in Norway. Norway? You're in Sweden. Damn it! Like, don't those cars have GPS though? What's that? Directions, GPS. <laughs> I guess that uh, that ship didn't have them. Uh, all right, uh, Christy, final word on weather. Sure, so we are expecting rain tonight and especially tomorrow morning. Snow for inland regions, but hopefully dry and cold after that with no snow for those of you that don't like it. I'm a little sad though. Apologies to Norway and all <laughs> of the Nordic countries. Norway's a wonderful place. <laughs>